Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who would contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today in this podcast series on impact, I have two guests, Will Wise and Chad Littlefield. Chad as a speaker and professional facilitator, designs fun, challenging, and engaging experiences and tools that break down communication barriers. He's spoken at TEDx and is the author of The Pocket Guide to Facilitating Human Connections. He's also the creator of We Connect Cards, which are now being used to create conversations that matter within companies in over 50 countries around the world and on six of the seven continents. And he says, free deck if you live in Antarctica. So if we have any listeners there, they're available. Uh, Chad lives in Asheville, North Carolina with his wonderful wife, Kate, though they both travel often for business and adventure. Will Wise has over two decades of experience custom building leadership programs for corporate and nonprofit groups. He's earned a reputation as one who can transform groups and people into their best selves. Tens of thousands of people have been empowered with positive communication skills after spending some time with Will and his company, We. Will and Chad actually have this company together, and most recently, Will released his new book, Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter, now a number one Amazon bestseller. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thanks for Such having a us on. <laughs> Such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, I, I wonder what, it, what caused you two to come together and create your business and what is it about it that's so unique? So uh, Will and I um, used to work together for an organization called World in Conversation and the whole mission of this organization was to get people down uh, to have conversations that were difficult and perhaps uh, riddled with conflict about topics like race and gender and culture um, and to leave those conversations perhaps with a deeper understanding of the other. And so when we were leading the facilitation training course for World in Conversation, uh, Will and I at 9 p.m., would go on these long uh, walks together afterward, just kind of debriefing the uh, class and how it went. And at one point, year probably four years after um, working together for four years, I remember going on this walk, and it was in daytime, and we were on a dirt path, and Will uh, got down on one knee and looked at me, and he said, <laughs> Chad, will you marry me in starting a business? <laughs> That's great. Um, and I said, yes. <laughs> that's my that's my version. That's great. And Will, is, is this your recollection as well? Well, I don't think his wife would mind or my wife would mind to <laughs> say publicly that I did ask him to uh, marry me as a business partner. You know, it's uh, when you meet certain people in your life, you just know. 
And if thinking about your listeners wanting to have a greater impact, um, the people that you pull closest to you are the ones who do have the greatest impact on you. And when I experienced Chad in the world, I was like, all right, how do I get more of Chad? And so asking him to be a co-teacher and finding ways to keep him in my life because he was so phenomenal has been um, an amazing experience for me and that he kept keep saying yes. And so it's been this way that we have grown and created something. When you're creating a partnership, you want to be looking for people that can help you make something that you couldn't make yourself. Mm. And Chad's strengths definitely augment my weaknesses in a major way. I love that you said that. Help you make something you wouldn't otherwise make yourself. Um, what a phenomenal uh explanation or, or description of a great partnership. So I, so tell us what you have made. Tell us about we and what the work that you do and, and what's, I mean, there's dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of training companies out there. So what makes we different? Yeah. So um, first, in terms of creating something that we couldn't create ourselves, uh, Will and I actually have a, a hand signal. That's going to be maybe a little bit hard to describe over audio, but the hands, <laughs> if you hold your hands out in front of you and you build on top of it and you kind of put uh, your left hand above your right hand and then your right hand above your left hand. And the signal for us means we're about to go, we're going or we're in an idea phase and, um, uh, when Will says something, I add to it. And when I say something, Will adds to it. Mm. And what that's culminated into your question, Ursula, is um, immense clarity that leaders call us when there's a lack of trust getting in the way of what they want to accomplish. And so they give us a call when they want to amplify that trust and connection and create a workplace that is worth showing up to. Um, and for us, a huge part of a workplace that's worth showing up to um, is one where the people who you work with um, are people that you love to be around, that you learn from, that aren't afraid to um, be in conflict with you sometimes and push and challenge you as well. Hmm. Well, I, I know that your business is centered around this idea of asking powerful questions, and that's in fact the title of your book, Will. How does that tie in with, with what Chad just described? I think it's a great question. So often in workplaces, people have an avoidance kind of culture in which if there's something important that needs to be talked about, it becomes the invisible elephant in the room and people just kind of nod to it perhaps, but they don't explore it or be in it. And so one way that Chad and I have this partnership together. And one reason why we agreed to work together is we both can push each other in the skill sets and the tools that we share with others. We practice ourselves. And so he talked about idea generating on top of idea generating. For example, we rarely butt each other. We don't let our butts get in the way of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, describe, describe what you mean by that. <laughs> And so what I mean by that, if Chad, <clears throat> excuse me, if Chad shares a great idea, it's easy 
my tendency is to go, yeah, but that's not going to work because our client's not going to work that. It's so much more fun for me to go, yes, and... And so sometimes when we're working together, sometimes our ands get really long and we can tell we want to put a but there. Instead, we're going and, <laughs> and now we're generating something together that neither one of us could generate ourselves. And so one time, Chad and I, Chad, you'll have to help me remember how this goes. Uh, we were working on a project together and one of the skills that was important for our client in that case was reflective listening. And I was seeking a way to make it really kinesthetic and alive and not therapeutic and sounding like we were at a mental doctor's office. Right. And I said something like, well, we could get this table to talk. And Chad came up with this idea that was from left field and totally misunderstood what I said. And for a moment, I just paused and was about to butt him. I said, but my idea was. <laughs> instead, I listened to his idea and I picked up a table and I put it into the center of the room. And within 20 minutes, we had put a microphone underneath the table and we were asking the table questions and using the cell phone and the microphone to get the table to actually respond. That's great. And it evolved into, uh, we found that putting the speaker in garbage cans was actually easier. <laughs> and so when we started the lesson in the classroom, the garbage can spontaneously started talking. Hmm. And when we pick up the garbage can and put it in the center of the room, and then it wasn't long before the recycling can started talking, and we would have this conversation where, we could get away from the content and actually get engaged with each other about the mechanics of asking questions and hearing the reflection and reflecting back in a way that was really useful. The re impact of that was the lesson went so deep that people got it immediately. So something that took two days for them to get really well was now happening within 20 or 30 minutes. Mm. And that's so powerful. I mean, as a as a corporate refugee myself, I know that there's <laughs> there's great need within organizations for people to feel connection with each other. And um, so much of the the training work that goes on out there is so dry and conventional, and it it really doesn't affect real change. It's something people talk about, but in terms of changing behavior. It's rare that training actually does that. So I've, I'm really encouraged to hear that the work you're doing is so, I mean, there's a, a very quick aha, and that kind of shift can really make a difference in how people are perceiving and being able to put it into action. Is that, what are your thoughts on, on all of what, all of what yeah. I just said? I, well, I think, for me, it comes back to impact. So whenever, if you've ever heard uh, kind of the idea of if you want to change the world, um, uh, well, start with changing your nation. And if you want to change your nation, start with changing your community. And if you want to change your community, start with changing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, going the reverse of that, um, I think asking powerful questions and, uh, and being equipped with the skill to ask powerful questions um, starts a domino effect that leads to uh, increased trust and higher engagement and better communication because now 
um, when I am in a difficult conversation with my boss and I'm uh, sitting there and he or she is really driving me insane because I don't feel like I'm being listened to. I can go back to a tool that uh, we talk about in Ask Powerful Questions, which is the fundamental tool of being clear about your intention and stating it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so rarely do we do that. Um, but I think that simple tools like that that are related to asking powerful questions, because um, you can't ask powerful questions without uh, being able to listen as well and without being able to have empathy um, also. And so I think that um, that domino effect is really important and what gets lost in training, at least what I've seen in the dry training that you're mentioning that doesn't really uh, create behavior change is the domino is too far disconnected from the rest of the dominoes and they tip the the one domino in the training and it falls, mm. but none of the other ones um, actually fall down because it's not applied. It's not meaningful. I don't get to experience it. Right. And so, if, you know, um, we're doing a training on better communication and there's someone talking at me from a PowerPoint about better communication, but I'm not <laughs> actually communicating with people that, um, I need to be, it's going to be really hard for me to apply that. Right. Well, and that's a great image, the the dominoes that are too separated to really affect each other. So you don't get that cascade effect. Um, yeah. Well, one thing that uh, I, I, you mentioned is intention. And when I think about my time in a corporate setting, it it's often was when things were frustrating or something wasn't working, going into a conversation with your boss can be challenging because emotions are running high and rather than stepping back and setting an intention for it, I think most people, or at least a lot of people, kind of go into it with the emotion as the lead. What what do you is that your experience too when you, you're working with people? I love that you say that and I think we're old enough to Remember the times in which in corporate America, you leave your emotions at the door. And I think for many organizations, that legacy still exists, right? And, and, and yet, what you're saying is true, that you show up with this emotional piece that now becomes the dictator in your relationship mm-hmm. with this meeting that you're about to have with your boss. And so if you can get clear... Well, let me do this with you, Ursula. What's your intent with this podcast? (laughs) Uh, For me, it's really about, well, there's a a couple of areas. One is really to um, inspire people by sharing the experiences of others who wanted to and have created impact in their work and with their businesses. And that then serves as a great role model. It serves as tools that people can use to work through difficult times um, in their business. And uh, it's, it's really intended to lift people up and, and motivate them, help them move forward with the impact they want to have. That's pretty wide ranging, but <laughs> that is my intention. So when I hear that, and I bet you when your listeners hear that, and Chad hears that, suddenly we're all saying to ourselves, ooh, is this the game we're playing? Mm. Okay, so if this is the game we're playing, I'm in. Or they may be saying, well, if that's the game we're playing, I'm out. Right. It, and it doesn't matter necessarily. It, what it does, stating a clear intention, 
is a conversation to say, this is the game that we're playing. Maybe here's a few of the rules. And then everybody can be playing that game. So what you're talking about when you're going to your boss and you've got an emotional overload, it is not clear the game that you're playing. Mm -hmm. Right? And so the boss might think that you're trying to protect your job. Your boss might think that you're trying to get them fired. What happens when you state your intention is suddenly we're clear about the game. And when the conversation then gets sticky, because if it's a conversation that matters, it will always get sticky. And in a place in which there's not clarity about how to move forward, simply restating the intention in the same words or in different words, now that you have some more fodder in the conversation, some more verbiage, restating the intention brings you back to that foundation. And from that foundation, both people can relax. The emotions kind of bank down a little bit. Logic can, can increase. And now you can figure out how to move forward using the strategy that's inside of you to do something that uplifts whatever that intention is. Mm. Really good intentions include the other. So if I just say an intention that's for me, that is a goal. A good intention includes the whole, the we. And so when you state in an intention, it's you're included in that, but you're thinking about the customers or the clients or your colleagues. And how can we together push something forward? Mm-hmm. So, Will, I haven't even uh, shared this with you yet because it was uh, it happened yesterday. I was on a call with a chief nurse, nursing nursing officer at a big hospital in Indiana, and. Um, he shared this really, he had just finished reading, asking, ask powerful questions. And, uh, we hopped on this call and I asked him, you know, what was one of the, you know, books are big. And so what's one specific nugget that you took out that was really useful. And he talked about intention and the story he shared was that, uh, every single, uh, so he's the chief nursing officer. So all of his direct reports are, um, at the manager or above level. And he has a one-to-one with every single one of them every single week, which is uh, not super common. Um, and he, when they walk into the room, he has been sharing his intention. And his intention has been something um, uh, right around the words of, hey, I'm glad you're here right now. Um, I First, my intention is to actually, in sitting down in this conversation, is to actually... Um, show you that I care about you as a person. And so I don't feel like we need to just talk about work. I also want to know how is life outside of work? Um, and and not and I'm not curious just from an aspect of I want to know whether it's in, in influencing your performance. I actually want to know because I care about you as a human being. Mm-hmm. And my second intention is um, I want to hear what barriers are coming up um, for you in work and how I can remove those. And what the powerful part for me, that's nice, but the powerful part for me was that he shared that um, all of these scores and percentiles over the last years of how they were doing in relation to patient care in comparison to the rest of the country. Um, And they're now in the 98th percentile of awesome patient care. He didn't use that language Um, (laughs) because the frontline staff, the nurses and the physicians are sharing their intention with uh, patients and saying, "Hey, I really care about you," and they're sh- and they're demonstrating that intention as well, mm-hmm. uh, because you know he said, 
I have clarity being in the chief nursing officer role that the way I treat my managers is going to be the way that they treat uh, their staff and their staff is going to be the way that they treat um, patients. And so it trickles all the way down. Right. Well, and that's a key aspect of demonstrating the intention. What, what ways do you do that in your, when you facilitate, how do you demonstrate your intention and how do you, do you come into sessions with a, 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 overall intention obviously each one is going to be tailored to the particular issue but if you come in what do you what intention do you come in with and how do you demonstrate that i love that you're asking that and i would say that if the first 30 words out of my mouth once we have gathered does not include intention that i have failed and every time i create an intention it is for it's almost co-created with those people. Mm. So I've thought about it beforehand and it is it is for that particular group. So one group that I worked with, I was invited to come in. We were doing some long, I was guiding a group to do some long-term intensive facilitator training. And this was near the end of their training. And my intention, I stated something like, my intent with being with you today is for you to recognize that you have the ability to move things from impossible to possible mm. and to amplify connection, belonging, and trust. Mm. And so that became the architect in which I created an experience where they went through three very intense experiences in which they through their own reflection, realize that they have this skill set to amplify connection, belonging, and trust. Mm -hmm. And that when conversations seem impossible, that they have the skill set necessary to move them forward so a conversation becomes possible. One and it, quite frankly with that one, when I said it, there were some eyebrows going like, whoa, what's the game that we're playing? And so I had to add some more words in order to make that clear for them. So, Will, this is the second time that I've almost started to talk as you're talking. So to be clear, my intention is to let you finish and to really listen to what you're saying <laughs> for the rest of this podcast. Um, so that's one example of intention showing up. I, one way that I saw Will use intention in a way that um, really amazed me at the impact we were in a few months ago, we were facilitating, we do a fair amount of um, facilitating big conferences. So helping people to connect and create community um, at scale. So at a larger event in 500 people, we'll give everybody a We Connect card with a powerful question on it. And we'll do a 800 person question swap. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we were uh, doing is a keynote had just spoke and we were facilitating an exercise, an experiential exercise to uh, drive home some of the things that this keynote, she, some of the things she had talked about. And Will said the first, as soon as he um, stood up, he said, our intention in the next, my main intention in the next 10 minutes is to create an opportunity for us to laugh. <laughs> and it was as simple as that. And it was um, absurd what happened in that room of, this was a room of 400 people. Um, that, and we did this exercise that was playful, that um, on the surface, you might see, or from a distance, you might look at and say, oh, well, I wouldn't do that with a bunch of um, you know, professionals, but because Will had stated, hey, the intention here is to laugh and to play a little bit, 
and also to drive home some of the ideas that Susan had just talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that intention immediately translated into 10 minutes of laughter and play, because I think sometimes intention, like Will said, gives people permission and says, hey, this is the game we're playing. Do you want to play? And that way they have a choice to opt in or opt out. Um, And in this case, everybody opted in. (laughs) That's great. What a great example and what a unique experience for people to be able to both interact in that large setting and also to to laugh about it and and really engage in that game. Um, So you've talked about your impact in terms of amplifying trust and connection and and Chad, you said creating a workplace worth showing up to. What's... uh, what is a personal trait that you have, each of you, that has been most helpful in having the impact that, that you have? Will, I'm wondering if we can uh, describe that for each other. Can I share your characteristic and you share mine? Ooh. How's that feel? <laughs> That's somehow easier than me talking about myself. Sure. <laughs> I like that intention. That's a game worth playing. <laughs> I think um, Will has character, and I'm, I, I still am actually searching for the word. So Ursula, maybe you can help me find the word to describe word in English to describe this. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember uh, in the first couple years of knowing Will, he had facilitated a um, program with it was I think it was six or seven executives, and. Uh, they were having some issues. There was some personality conflicts. They weren't sure quite how to proceed. There was just some turmoil in the group. And uh, I remember Will describing this to me and saying, I feel like it was one of the best um, workshops or retreats that I had ever led because somebody quit at the end of the uh, program. Somebody walked out and said, I'm done and left the executive. And for an executive team, that's a pretty um, – it's intense radical. deal. Yeah. And I think Will has this a gift that I don't have, um, which is to sit down and really with small um, groups and go really deep. And so I, I know Heather, Will's wife, will often ask Will when he comes home, hey, Will, how many people cried today? <laughs> <laughs> and and in, a, in, a, in a really positive way, because I think Will has an ability um, – to access the core of who somebody is, not just what they do. And I have no idea what word describes that in English. (laughs) Well, I think you described it really well. Um, Yeah, that's a powerful skill to have. And it's really what people want in the workplace. They don't want to show up as 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 a company automaton, someone who plays this role, this very proscribed role where they're not bringing all of themselves into it. Um, I mean, what a great, what a great platform you create, Will, for them to be fully themselves. So, including thank you, yeah. So, so how about Chad? What, what's your, what? How would you describe Chad's most important trait that uh, creates impact? Well, if I'm gonna balance the scale with what he just shared, Chad has the ability that I think is very rare to be in front of thousands of people and be fully himself. Mm. He's really authentic when he is in a large group and he can name his failures live. He can 
engage with people in such a way, even on that, I think I've seen Chad in front of 5,000 in a way that makes people want to be their best selves. Mm, Wow. And they get smiley and giddy and they're able to digest whatever philosophy or idea that he is sharing in that moment. And he creates multiple invitations for people to say yes or no. And typically the majority of the people say yes, and they are out of their seats. They're engaging with each other. They're practicing something that five minutes ago would have seemed impossible for them. And while they're doing it, you can see that the learning is happening and Chad can hold that space for everybody to be engaged in them being their authentic self. Well, this is a powerful combination that the two of you bring, and I'd, I'd love to dive even deeper into that by asking you both, what are the values that are behind that? Because I think our behavior is really created by the things that we hold as most important, whether that's conscious or unconscious, and therefore a recognition of what you value can be really amazing tool because you can then amplify that and really bring forward the the things that and and act on the things that you feel are most important. So what are the values that you each bring to this work that you do? I think well and uh check me on this but we collaborated quite a bit on figuring out what those were and have them um have them written out in a uh, framework that, so our company's name is we, like a group of people. And uh, um, what one of the intentions and reasons behind that um, name is we recognize that as we were going into organizations and um, working with people, we kept seeing these two dominant um, mindsets showing up and perhaps values also. Um, And one was this other-centered, we-focused mindset. And the other was this uh, me-centered, me-focused mindset. And so we've broken out those two, you know, a me mindset and a we mindset into several characteristics that for me represent, and Ursula, you just said the you know the conscious and unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, the we focus mindset is not necessarily natural, or um, it's a more deliberate, choiceful mindset that we can only choose once we have some awareness over it. So, an example um, would be this dynamic of in a me focused mindset. We often talk about. Um, listening to win, being in a mindset of listening to win. And so when I ask somebody, um, well, let's just do this. Ursula, where are you from? Where was I born? Yeah. Where were you born? Germany. Germany. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you about the time <laughs> that I just went to Germany a few months ago, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so often when we ask questions to people, um, even if it's a really powerful question, what our default mindset is to go into listening to win and to talk about me and to go into all the things that uh, how my project my experience onto theirs. And it's often, I think it's often with fine intentions with wanting to share a commonality or say, Hey, look, see, I belong. I'm like you, 
Um, but I think what is really happening is we're talking about you and not um, caring about the other person mm -hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, Will, you want to uh, share the, um, the we focused mindset alternative to listening to win? Yeah. What occurred to me as you were speaking, Chad, is it's amazing. So in your example of running off to Germany and then sharing your experiences with Germany, you showed up. And if real connection is to happen, it tends to happen when there's an amazing amount of listening. Amount is not even the right word. So in our, in our language, we call it listening to understand. So Chad was just talking about listening to win. When you look at listening to understand, the intent here is to get them. It's not like listening to win to one up or if you're going to complain for me to complain a little bit more. Here with listening to understand, your major objective is just to get them, not to get anything else, not to get ahead, but just to get what they're putting forward. And one time we were working with a group in which we had couples, not couples, people partner up and talk to each other. And one person shared during the debrief that when she started, she said, I had no idea how I was going to answer this question. And as I continued to share, I got more and more clear. And I said, so you felt like you did some work there? And I said, yes. And I said, there was somebody who did some more work. Who was your listener? Your listener, she listened you into being. <laughs> because when she was able to be in that listening to understand space, and you said something, and she did it without judgment, or she got it without judgment and just accepted you for who you were, you then had the ability to accept yourself for who you were. And that big judge that you have inside of you behind that throne was able to shrink down and get minimized. And suddenly you had a lot more space inside of yourself to understand how you were challenged with it, challenged with whatever this thought was without it being the dominant narrative with the judge. The judge got diminished and suddenly you were able to see new space and to create something new and you stepped into a new being, maybe for the first time. That's such a powerful um, way of looking at it. And what you said, she listened you into being. I think that's so true. When people create space for others, then that gives you the both a license and the opportunity to explore something within yourself that maybe hasn't become apparent. And it, it gives you an opportunity to really bring that out, perhaps in a different way. I, I know often I, uh, and for my clients too, as they're speaking about something, it comes out in a way they've never expressed it before. And it becomes often a really powerful way that they can describe themselves or their work. So it's it's really valuable. The the other thing that struck me too, and when, when you were talking about the me centered mindset, that there's there's such cultural differences in that. And um, I mean, I, I said I was born in Germany, but I was one year old when we moved to Canada. And the Canadian culture is more self effacing, and that's considered valuable. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I've noticed 
quite a startling contrast between living in Canada and living in the United States of, of how people choose to interact. And um, I think that's, it's an interesting thing to observe that there's, there's these, uh, it, it's not necessarily something that's an individual conscious choice. It's just part of the culture. Right. And there's my wife spent some multiple years in Japan and I spent multiple years in Nepal and the Asian cultures tend to have this unity as part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I hear maybe you falling into a trap with that tends to fall happen when people hear about this me and we dynamic is that we value both of them. Mm-hmm. We value the we and we value the me. We, so much so that our URL, our URL is we and dot me. <laughs> and for me, somebody who grew up on the streets not knowing where my next meal was going to come from and where I was going to sleep that night has really strengthened my survival skills. And all of that was housed within the me. I need those. I need to take care of myself on a certain level, right? Even in airplanes, when the mask fall from the ceiling, who do you put it on first? You put it on yourself before you put it on your loved one. So you have the capability of taking care of others. However, when we are trying to have a major impact, we cannot do it focusing on the me mindset. Mm -hmm. It's only in the we mindset and everybody's got their little me's taken care of, <laughs> how do we then move and create an impact happens in the we mindset where we are listening to understand. I absolutely, than, sorry, go ahead. But, you know, where, where we're listening to understand rather than listening to win. Go ahead. I absolutely agree. I think that impact is not just about um, self-evolution or self-realization. It's also about how are you affecting the people, the community, the world around you, and how are you, how is that interplay working together as a way to create impact? So yeah, that was really, really well described. So I, I'm curious about kind of the, the, the back end of your business, the, the part that we don't see and necessarily when you're, you're up on stage. So do you, how do the two of you work together in terms of, of sharing who does what? I mean, what's a good use of, of your time and energy, Will, and of your time and energy, Chad, and how do the two mesh together as a, as a partnership? Because it's, it's not necessarily common that a partnership works really well, and it seems to <laughs> for the two of you. So, We had a, a major aha about this within the last um, year, there's a book called, and this might be really helpful to some of your listeners too, who are um, towing the line between running a practice versus starting a business or owning a business or running a business. Um, and the there's a book called The Thought Leader's Practice by Pete Cook and, and Matt Church out of Australia. And uh, um, fir- in the first chapter, they delineate between a practice and a business. And they basically articulate that, um, you know, in a business, you're trying to create a system so that you can allow other people to step into it and grow and scale. In a practice, though, um, take a surgeon, for example. A surgeon is not going to hire her assistant to do surgery. She's the expert, so she's going to be the one cutting into the person. Um, and and I think we're all glad that we want to keep it that way. We want to 
um, <laughs> keep that <laughs> practice running with the surgeon doing the surgery. And okay. so in the same way, I think for the first couple years of starting we, we kind of, we didn't have clarity on whether we were a practice or a business. Cause we, um, had these tools like we connect cards, card decks and other tools that we sell in an, uh, you know, an e-commerce, uh, platform. So there's a business there, but then we would also go out and do, uh, workshops and speaking engagements. And uh, we make space for two consulting clients each year to work more deeply with. And, uh, um, the clarity was we are a practice, a two person practice and we're not looking to create a you know facilitator guides to hire other facilitators so that we can step out and be sitting on a beach somewhere while um, <laughs> this is happening right we're comfortable knowing that we want to scale we want to do our surgery um, which is building and amplifying trust connection and belonging at work we want to do that surgery to the extent that Will and I can do it. And then we want to be able to scale that by having a small business, um, which is part for us, part of having writing Ask Powerful Questions and creating some of the other tools is a way to scale beyond just our, our time. So to answer your question more directly of how do we split time, um, I manage most of the um, business side of stuff, so the the store front and the e-commerce um, way, and then I do I take on a um, quite a bit of the um, conference uh, facilitation and speaking the large group stuff, um, and uh, <laughs> Will splits his time between having. Uh, three kids and five jobs in some, in some ways, but I'll let you describe that well, if you want to. <laughs> I think the, to answer her question directly, there's a way that Chad is really gifted at moving pixels around. And I just Thanks. try to, bl- <laughs> I just, I just try to blow on the screen and get them to move or I, you know, I can't quite figure out how they keep moving on my screen and so Chad has got the tech and the digital stuff really down. And he's really great about asking feedback and doing that in a really collaborative way. And I think what Chad was about to get to is that I love this deep transformational work. And so when people are ready and they're wanting to work deeply or a CEO recognizes that his leadership team or one of our, one of our current clients, very successful, top in their industry, they don't have a leadership team. Wow. <laughs> and it's really amazing that they don't have that technology yet. You know, there's multiple leaders within the organization, but he doesn't have a core group that is his true leadership team. So helping to facilitate processes in that way. And it's all based on having conversations that matter and asking the right questions. And so the tools and the Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter book is developed in such a way that somebody can pick it up and start using it. And so that's what Chad just had a conversation with a chief nursing officer, right? People pick it up and they're like, oh, wait, I need help amplifying this. And they start to get that our tools can transform the way that they're having conversations on a daily basis. And then that, as Chad shared, has a direct impact on the patients in this case. 
that's worth showing up for, for me. Well, in this process of, of having impact and, and building your practice, um, I know it's, uh, you've been doing some really interesting work with a lot of different companies. Are there, sometimes it's easy to kind of look at these experiences and go, oh, yeah, that was, um, that was from the outside, people saying, oh yeah, that was so smooth, there were no bumps in the road. Is there a particular obstacle that you can think of where the two of you were able to really collaborate on finding resolution? And I think it's always good for people to hear how are people addressing the inevitable issues that pop up? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I've got a clear one that comes up for me um, off the bat. So I, I've actually for the last year or so um, been keeping, I got this idea to start and keep a failure resume rather than a resume. Um, so most often, the most common thing is you create a resume and you fill it with all the ways that you're amazing um, in terms of your education and what you've done and your jobs and um, awards, et cetera. Failure resume, to the, op to the total contrast, um, you're listing in the title. And it, so my failure resume looks like a resume. It's got my name. It's got my address. Um, but the titles are creative titles that I've, uh, labeled monstrous failures and small <laughs> failures as well. Um, and then the, the points, the bullet points below are the things that I learned from that failure. Cause I think Will and I both share in the mindset that those, those obstacles and those places that we've stumbled, um, are only failures if we choose not to learn something from them. Right. Um, so Small example, the other day it snowed here in Asheville and uh, I didn't have an ice scraper. And so this is one of the, mo the most recent add to um, my failure resume. And I used this little metal tool like an idiot um, to scrape off my windshield. And now my windshield is filled with permanent scrapes. Oh. So from things like that, <laughs> from things like that all the way to working, um, and this is, and I'll keep this client confidential, but um, I, before, when we were just starting to work with this client, they were a fast growth tech company. Uh, most of your listeners probably know or have used their service in some way. Um, and we were flying internationally to facilitate a company retreat. It was kind of our first touch point with them. And their values aligned so much and everything was just like, this client was held in the light for me. And we got there and we did so much planning, worked um, so hard to create an awesome company retreat. And we got there and we facilitated the um, company retreat and the feedback that um, came back was, you know, Chad and Will, this was interesting and it was a little bit too American for us. Mm. And uh, I think that was for me a major lesson in our early development um, at how important empathy is. And so I feel like any anytime I start working with a client now, um, my mouth is closed as much as possible and I'm really listening to try to empathize and stand in the shoes of that client rather than saying, hey, look at all this cool technology that we have. Look at the, the we and me framework that we've developed and the leadership lab that we run in this new book and all this rather than showing all of that how that I can and am excited about. Mm -hmm. um, my learning is to just stop and really empathize. Um, and Will, 
has this beautiful way of describing empathy in the um, book because I think it's a core part of asking powerful questions, um, which is not that em- empathy is not standing in the shoes of another person. Empathy is taking off one of your shoes and putting on one other person's shoes while still staying grounded in your own reality. Um, and that is some, that's a lesson that Will taught me. Um, and that I think I was reminded of through the, the obstacle, I guess you could say of what I would say failing, um, to do a great job with this client early on. Well, thanks for sharing so, that. Yeah. yeah. Will, go ahead. <clears throat> that reminds me of, uh, a time in which I was attempting to do that. New CEO, largest organization of its kind in the world, and he created a new mission statement. And his 12 direct reports, I had a sense, weren't on board. He unilaterally created a mission statement? He was there for about six weeks, maybe eight weeks, (laughs) and had asked for some input, but basically he created it. Wow. And I can second that. I know who Will's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of pushed on him a little bit, but he was pretty set where it was. So rather than allowing there, there was a conversation that needed to be had. And so how do you have that conversation in a way that is creates a certain amount of safety, but yet conflict and exploration, right? Conflict doesn't necessarily mean need to be bad. It just means that you and I have different ideas, which is great. If we can find the, that, that space and be in that space, we can create a new idea that wasn't going to show up. And so I printed his mission on a card and made it nice and fancy. And as part of this retreat, I had them all circled around. And I said, we've got this new mission, and I'd like to have a conversation about it. And having a conversation about it might be a bit challenging. So what I'd like you to do is to pick an image. And I threw a bunch of pictures on the floor, pictures of zebras and cityscapes and your grandfather's wooden tools and clocks and any just random images as part of one of our tool sets, We Engage cards. So I threw them on the ground and I said, pick an image that represents how you are going to make this mission come to life. If they're on board, they're going to be able to talk about it. If they're not, they're not going to be able to, right? So here we go. And, you know, the first white male picks up a image of a nighttime cityscape that's got a lot of bridges in it. And he says, we are the bridge builders between our client, our member organization and their clients and what their needs are. And we do a lot of connection. And somebody else picked up grandfather's tools and said a little bit about how they offer tools and resources for their member organization. A few more people go and then one man picks up a zebra and he says, every zebra is different. Mm -hmm. The striping pattern is unique to that zebra in much the same way that we talk about snowflakes. And this is what we're not doing for our customers, for our members. And there was this kind of pause because he was the first one to bring some dissent into the room right Mm -hmm. and i just took a breath and i looked around and i said it's interesting and then the ceo kind of cut me off and he goes on a little bit of a 
a rant, for lack of a better word, that basically says that this man was wrong. And I said, hold on, hold on. Let, let's let him finish saying what he was saying. So Zebra Man says a little bit more. And I said to Zebra Man, it's interesting that you're saying that is the only black man on the leadership team. And he says, the only black gay male on the leadership team. And then the CEO starts to say some more. And I said, hold on, hold on. Do you see, Mr. CEO, what Zebra Man is saying? And he says, no. <laughs> and I said, do you see what you are saying right now? You are saying it as a white male. And he's like, that's the only place I can speak from. And I said, that may be true, but can you hear what Zebra Man is saying? Do you get that he is saying that you are part of this large organization, you only have one black gay male on the leadership team, and you're treating all of your members the same? Can you get that? And he pauses and kind of gets reflective. Says a, says a wee bit more. We continue with our dialogue. The dialogue gets a little bit more intense and rich. Two weeks later, when I follow up with the CEO and I'm sitting down with him at his table at his big luxury wooden office, the first thing he says, he says, you know, Zebra Man. I said, yeah. And he said, Zebra Man is in charge of pushing our organization in that direction now. He's mm -hmm. created a leadership team and we're, we're the sail, the That's ship great. has sailed in a different direction. That's great. Well, what a powerful thing for him to come to realize something and really make a shift. So, um, and, and that's maybe what we can wrap up with is to really have you both offer something that you think will help other people, the listeners make a shift in how they're creating their impact. Is there something that uh, you would advise or, or something you would say to them in, uh, in response to the question, how can I have more impact? How can I create more of a difference in the world, a positive difference? Yeah, I have one. I'm currently coaching a CEO of a large organization, and his self-work for the last two weeks is every meeting that he starts. And so this is the invite for your listeners. Every meeting that you start, either level one, think of what your intent is, where level two is state your intent and be clear about it and make sure that it includes the needs of the whole. Intent means to stretch. So to stretch to include the needs of the whole and see what happens when you clearly state your intent in the beginning of a meeting with an acknowledgement that you're saying this is the game that we're playing. Level three of this would be then to ask others to share their intent as a way of connecting and then <clears throat> to move forward from there. Mm. Excuse me. And my uh, invitation would be, so when I first moved to Asheville, this is a very short story. When I first moved to Asheville, North Carolina, um, one of my more extroverted ways of settling into town was to get coffee with people. And so I went to a, a lot of uh, networking meetings and other events, and uh, those often ended up with one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings afterward. And so I had counted after that I had had in the first year of moving here, I had about uh, 300 one-to-one -one conversations wow. with people. And I became remarkably aware of the dynamic of how many questions are asked on either side of 
um, on either side of the table. So much to the point where um, I would uh, I would notice that we would be 45 minutes into a conversation and recognize that I was the only one that had asked a question because our default mindset in conversation is to respond. We speak in periods rather than question marks. Um, and uh, yet there's something really powerful about being curious about the other person rather than just responding with your own thoughts to what they said. Um, and I think it, it actually does create conversations that matter because when you ask questions, it deepens where you're at rather than just skims along the surface of where you are currently. Um, and so my invitation would be ask more questions yourself and if you notice that somebody else is not asking questions after those 300 coffee meetings, the 300 first uh, meeting, I'm estimating here, 300 first meeting, I actually started acknowledging this and saying, hey, I recognize that I'm the only one that uh, that I've been asking lots of questions. Um, what are you curious about? Ask me a question. And it, for the most part, it was received with this like, whoa. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of this pause, but not a whoa taken aback. Because uh, I, it was clear that I, I cared about that uh, person and that I wasn't upset or peeved or anything. Um, and what happened next is you could see curiosity turn on in their brain mm -hmm. and they asked really wonderful questions. Um, and I think sometimes people just don't ask questions unless they're prompted to, including ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so ask more questions yourself, see what happens and uh, invite other people to ask questions um, and experience the joy that comes uh, after that. Well, and that introduces that whole idea of curiosity, which I think is uh, such a great one in driving powerful questions. So, and you've, you two have built a business around that, around asking powerful questions and really working with people in a way deeply and in small and large group settings as a way to kind of transform their experience of the workplace and, and be able to communicate more effectively. So I, uh, I, I want to thank you for being here today and talking about your own experiences and, and your experiences in your practice um, as a way to, to share how you're having impact. So thank you both for being here. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a joy. It was a conversation that mattered, I would say. <laughs> well, if people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, so our, Will mentioned earlier, our URL is weand.me. Um, and so that's one easy place that people want to explore. And then um, specifically, if you want to go to weand.me slash ideas, Will and I um, both reached a point where we were really frustrated with email uh, ourselves mm -hmm. and said, how can we turn this frustration into something good and create more good email rather than more stressful email or marketing email or sales email? And so we and me slash ideas will take you to um, a newsletter that we've put together that is um, – marketing free and just uh and video based so will and i have recorded a bunch of videos of tools and things that we use, give to organizations and as a way of scaling that to people that might not be able to afford to bring us in um we send them out regularly um, with ideas like connection before content and descriptions of exercises like uh doing a question swap with 800 people and things like that so great um that would be a good one. And then if you want to Google Ask Powerful Questions, you will find the book. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of those points of contact and that, that uh, resource as well, those resources. And thank you both for the work you're doing in the world. I think it's uh, really valuable and powerful. So thank you. Ursula, it's obvious that you are committed to having an impact in the world and being in your presence for a little bit. I feel impacted and uplifted at the same time. So thank you. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you. I really appreciate hearing that, Will. Yeah. I've had a smile on my face the entire time we've been chatting. So thank, <laughs> thank you for that joy. Yeah, me too. So it's been great to have this conversation. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.